Welcome to the holiday special of the Stallman Podcast. Uh, Caleb Wojcik's here. And Caleb, I didn't tell you this was the holiday special. Um, how, how much do you like Christmas? <laughs> uh, well, I'll just start by saying my wife loves Christmas. So I, I would say I like Christmas. All right. Okay. Well, at least somebody in your household appreciates it. Or whatever holiday anybody listening is, is celebrating. Um, for audio listeners, I've, I've decorated the studio just a little bit. Um, but I'm a, I'm a pretty big Christmas fan, although it's not really going to be the topic here. It's just, uh, I didn't get many episodes out lately, so I gotta, I gotta celebrate it sometime and, uh, what better time than now, just in case there isn't another one before the end of the year. So anyway, thanks for coming back, Caleb. It's been, uh, I think about a year or so since you were last on the show. Yeah, it's, it's been a while. Lots happened, uh, both for us professionally and in the world. Um, it's, it's a weird year this year, but, um, I don't know about you, but I've been like just as busy this year as I have any other year even though I've been mostly stuck at home. No, oh, man, this has been a very, very weird year. And that's that's a lot of what I was hoping to talk about, kind of making that the main topic today, is what was it like as creative professionals in 2020 and what do we expect and what are we doing to prepare for 2021? And it's, it's almost a hard conversation because we've all had a really different experience. Uh, you know, it depends where you live. It depends on exactly what part of the industry you're in if you're even in this industry. So uh, I don't know, there's a lot of facets to it, but uh, you know, we could kind of share our experiences, but first I just wanted to hit a few news topics, kind of get some updates on things that I've been missing. So yeah, we just, we, there's a few things we kind of passed back and forth here that we both wanted to cover. Uh, I, I think it was mostly stuff that's on my mind, but feel free to jump in with any topics that uh, you've been thinking about lately. Um, some Apple things that have been happening and I haven't been able to cover in videos, which is why I want to make it a topic here because I know I'm, I've been getting a lot of messages about it. I know people are thinking about it. The state of photography, especially on the iPhone 12s. Now, Caleb, what what do you use as a phone right now? I have an 11 Pro Max and I don't know, I don't have it fully paid for yet. You know, I'm on the monthly, you know, pay for it over two years plan and I wanted to get the 12, but there was also so many different models and they were all coming out at different times. And the one I would have wanted was the pro max, which just recently started shipping, you know, within the past few weeks. So I've kind of been holding off to just upgrading it all this year. Yeah, I think you should. I mean, I I'm only upgrading every year now because I specifically review the phones. Um, I think even for people that are in the tech industry in general, like you just don't need to upgrade every year. Um, the like I only do it to cover it. Um, but the, you know, two years is when you really see the jump. So I, I say this every year, but it's like, don't worry, nobody worry about it upgrading every year. The 11, what I keep saying is like the 11 was the most satisfied I'd been with the phone. I was really happy with where the camera was. Um, it has gotten better. And so that was one things, one of the videos I haven't been able to do is comparing the, uh, the 12 and the 12 or sorry, 12 pro and 12 pro max. I mentioned a little bit on the last episode, but there's been further developments now that we have pro raw on, I think it's called that's, pro raw. That, that's yeah. the Apple word for it. Yeah. yeah. Which I don't think they had to make a new word. They could have just called it raw, but, um, it, uh, is now available. So you can start shooting in it and it's only available on the new pro models, I guess, hence the name pro raw, but it's basically Apple making an intelligent raw format that, um, fixes some of the problems with real raw that we had in the last generation. Did you ever shoot raw on your iPhone? No, because of the just kind of the issues of it. You know, I, I mainly just stuck with, you know, standard shooting shooting JPEG or what was it, H E F H E V C or you know whatever their your 
you know, their their heath, main heath is what I call heath, it. I, yeah. don't, I don't know if that's the real thing. But. Yeah. So yeah. I know I, I never really messed with raw because the dynamic range was usually enough for me, and that that'd be a reason why I would shoot raw would be the dynamic range. And going from my wife has the iPhone 10 and I have the 11 Pro Max, and that jump alone in the dynamic range and the, like the the smart HDR stuff that they do was enough for me that I didn't really feel like I needed to shoot raw and, you know, go through the processing steps of doing that. Yeah, I think that's smart. That's what most how most people should be approaching it. What we really saw in the old version of raw was noise improvements in low light. It was noticeably sharper. And well, I'm kind of saying that backwards, you would you'd actually see the noise a little bit more, but you could uh, be more selective about how much you remove the noise versus maintain the detail, which would leave you with what looked like an overall much more detailed image. So you'd find, I, th- I think, a better balance. Um, now, what we're seeing with ProRAW is this is really the way to get the most out of the iPhone 12 Pro Max. Um, that's really when you unlock the bigger sensor. And I mean, there's a lot of really cool info about there. I'll try to remember to post a link in the show notes to all the information that Halide has been uh, creating about this but all of a sudden i think there's a lot more incentive to shoot raw because things like the dynamic range make more of a difference now you're going to get even lower levels of noise even more uh actual detail there's still the overhead of figuring out how to process it and work with it so um i don't know it's still the it's, it's still not for everybody but um it's it's real like the gains are real and it is what makes the pro models more visibly different than the regular 12 camera at this point so and to me it's it's similar to when i set up my regular camera my dslr my mirrorless camera do i want to shoot raw or do i want to shoot jpeg or do i want to shoot one to each card and decide later what i want and you know for, for a lot of the stuff mm-hmm. that i'm taking photos of lately is just at home with my wife and daughter like I will shoot raw and I'll shoot JPEG and I back up all the raws to my hard drive for whatever future Caleb to, to edit in Lightroom on a desktop. But all the, all the JPEGs go to the SD card. We put those into our phone. My wife edits on Lightroom mobile or Visco and it's enough, you know, like shooting straight JPEGs out of a 5d, whatever mark you want to have, you know, it's, it's good enough for, you know, saving stuff it 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 seems like just like shooting film is just shooting jpeg is like oh that's what i get you know and and that's kind of what i treat my iphone like to iphone as i don't really yeah and it's very good yeah yeah um i I also was thinking about that i i wanted to bring up here that i did have a job this year where the client specifically requested that the video which was you know we're being paid video rates for it like not a discounted rate it was like this is a photo and video shoot we're doing both. They're like, we want all the video shot on iPhone specifically. Um, and that's a comment I get all the time because I'm always talking about like, what what's an iPhone like for professionals? I just wanted to remind everybody it happens. I just did it that a professional job paying real money that's not a reduced rate because of the gear that we're using wanted an iPhone shoot. And we could have brought any camera with us. We could have rented a camera for it. It could have been shot on anything, could have been shot on RAW on the C200. The client wanted a phone. So that is real. That is happening. I don't know. Just a reminder to everybody out there. Yeah, I'd be curious to hear why they wanted it on a phone. Was it because they wanted it to feel like less Look like it was on a phone. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. They wanted it to feel, which is such a legitimate thing. I, I, I don't, I'm really confused why there seems to be this culture that 
really dismisses that in the camera community. Um, people that are like, you know, no professionals use this. It's like, look, this is really common. You can f- open your phone, flip through Instagram, watch some YouTube. You're going to find dozens of examples from big companies that want to feel lo-fi. They want to feel real and connected to their audience. And there's no better way to do that than shoot it on the same device that the audience is using. So um, then the other things that happened, which I'm just going to kind of blast by, but, I, you know, I was thinking about it is uh, Fitness Plus is out for anybody in Canada, the States, Australia, and a few other countries that I didn't write down. But it is the thing that was missing from my Apple, I already remember the name of it, Apple One plan, my, you know, bundle package. So I got the premier pack, which has everything in it. And this was the one thing I couldn't use before. And I'm going to try it. And that's it. <laughs> I mean, like, I, it looks like they I was already paying for Premiere too. At home, you know, and that's Premiere is something I pay for as well because uh, I was already paying for probably two terabytes of iCloud storage for the amount of like photos I store on there. Uh, was already paying for Apple Music. Um, I was going to start paying for Apple TV Plus because the year I got for free with my iPhone was was ending. So you know, having fitness plus thrown in is great and having news plus thrown in is great. You know, I'm okay paying 30 bucks a month because I was already paying like 45 bucks a month to Apple before they launched this plan. So <laughs> yeah, it wasn't really yeah, that great exactly. to me other than, you know, I pay less. Yeah. I, I, I kind of wish, I don't know. I, I wished for a little more with these bundles maybe. Um, but, uh, you know, there's there's the, the data is probably the biggest thing that still feels like it's too small for for what you're getting for some of the lower plans as well which is almost why you skip straight to the bigger plans is to make sure you have enough storage but um you know for people like us like you're saying if you're already paying a certain amount it's like just go for it you know um you're in in the end i don't even know if i was paying any more to get these few extra features so yeah and if you're comparing that to what you're paying for your actual cell phone bill coverage it's probably a fraction of that as well as, you know, people complain about Netflix going up a dollar or two a month and, you know, compare that to a full cable package or whatever, you know. So I, I still feel like Apple Plus, Disney Plus, Netflix, all those types of streaming services are like way undervalued and they're just trying to price it so that they don't go out of business and just trying to go for for large numbers. And right. I think that's what they did with Apple One also. At the same time, I, I mean, I am getting subscription fatigue as well, which I'm sure other people can relate to. Like, I, I just, I don't want to pay for any more things per month. It's, it's mostly that feeling of losing track of like, oh man, I still have like another one dollar going out over here, and I forgot about that Patreon I subscribed to, and I'm paying for this calendar app, and and, um, you know, I try to keep an eye on those things so that they don't expand too much like too many nickel and dimes kind of sneaking out the back door so i like these bigger plans more actually where um you know even that apple music is in the same bundle as these other ones whereas if i had spotify it would be another external uh subscription to kind of keep track of um you know apple tv being in the same bundle like i same reason i like set app that bundles together a whole bunch of mac apps for me I like it when I'm like, I know exactly the one price that gives me a whole bunch of stuff, but what I'm getting sick of is all the little independent prices that I'm, I'm paying all over the place. Um, it, actually, just this morning, my wife, Anya, was just saying that she's like, maybe we should cancel Disney Plus, which is funny because they just announced so much stuff, but I haven't been watching it and neither has she. And we're just like, mm, yeah. I mean, we already paid for the next year, so I still have it and I'm definitely going to watch The Mandalorian before I cancel it. 
But, you know, there's a lot of subscriptions out there, and I definitely don't want to pay for absolutely all of them. Actually, so that was leading into one of the topics that you wanted to talk about a bit as well, which was uh, just sort of the state of streaming, uh, especially going into 2021 with movies. Yeah, I think there's a lot of news going on right now because uh, mainly HBO Max, who's owned by AT&T, made a big announcement that, you know, any movies that are coming out in 2021 um, by Warner Brothers is going to also be streamable same day as theater release to to HBO Max subscribers. And I understood some of the things that had to happen during this year in COVID-19 with movies coming out with um, pushing back launch dates or just going straight to streaming to purchase or a combination of, you know, you have to pay for Disney plus, and then you also have to pay more money for Mulan. Um, You know, like, these movie studios and the people behind them put a lot of money, put a lot of effort into these projects and box office is a big part of, you know, how they get paid, like the creatives that make the movie as well as the executives and the companies that fund them. And so for the, for the bigger movies, you know, tenant was probably the, the, the tent pole one this year that everyone was watching to see how it would perform in the movie theaters when only some of the movie theaters were open and so this announcement is is strange to me because the big thing that people are mad about, Christopher Nolan came out about it right away. Um, Denis Villeneuve, who uh, is the director of Dune, which is one of the movies that's going straight to streaming at the same time it comes out theater, wrote wrote a piece for, I believe it was for Variety, just explaining like they didn't talk to any of the directors of these movies or any of the people involved yeah, and and their contracts are tied a lot of the times to box office box office performance and the residual money that they'll make from that. And so, for someone just higher up at a company to to make a decision like that without involving other creative people and at least sitting them down and you know at at some level maybe just the directors of all the movies or something without the news getting out, I, I find it strange. I mean, I I am all for supporting uh artists in every way shape and form whether that's buying albums or you know subscribing to youtube premium you know service or buying physical copies of movies or going to the theaters and things like that to, to support um people that make creative stuff um maybe not when i was in my teens and i probably downloaded stuff off napster and stuff like that to just because i couldn't afford music or didn't pay for that yeah um but so I, I physically bought a, a copy of Tenet when it came out finally and they released it because I was uncomfortable going to the theaters when, when it released. Because um, so, I want to support, you know, like movies coming out in a form that I can I can purchase right now. Um, but I don't know. It's, it's, a weird, it's a weird thing because the movie companies have to keep making movies. They have to keep making money. They're employing people. And I don't know. What, what do you think about the whole thing? I mean, I think it's a total shit show. Like this is a, this is going to be a problem for everyone, and I want to I want to instantly be on the side of the the filmmaker um, because they should get their due. You know, like they they made this with a certain intention, um, both in terms of what they expected to receive financially afterwards, in terms of having a theatric showing. Like that's really important to any director or the, you know VFX artist that put blood, sweat and tears into this and the cinematographers and everybody that worked so hard on these films deserves to see it in the best possible way. 
Um, and I almost don't really know what the directors are really arguing should happen because there isn't, I don't really see the other possibility. It does look to me like uh, the, the whole HBO deal, which here in Canada, it's actually going to come out on Crave and not day and date. I think it's there's a delay, so we're not going to get as good of a deal with it. it. I think it's only the US that it's coming out on the same day. But um, it's uh, basically, it seems like a like all that Warner, or I guess who, who made the deal? Uh, who's at the t- who owns Time Warner again? Time Warner, I believe. <laughs> Whoever AT&T. owns Warner Bros. AT and T, I think, is the the right. biggest. Sorry, I don't know. There might be something above AT and T. Yeah, that's sure. that's yeah. who made the call. I think. Yeah, yeah, the and call, I think AT and T is like, oh look, yeah. we have this catalog. Yeah, and we can just throw it on HBO, and like th- that'll just solve our problems. And it wasn't very well considered. It wasn't a strategy compared to what we look at Disney's plans coming up. Like all of those tons of disney plus shows and i don't know if any of them are movies they all seem to be shows that were announced um that is very well planned and that's going to make a return for disney because the shows are within a budget that is profitable for the model of streaming and from everything i've read following this like the money that comes from streaming just will not be able to keep up with box office money like it's just not the same you can't make that scale of movie so i almost don't know what that's why i don't know what the argument is it's like well you can't have a successful theatrical release right now i know you want to but it won't work like, it won't happen we've already seen it with tenant um do you want to just wait another full year um you know i i don't know i, I don't know what the answer is i just know that everybody's a little bit screwed right now yeah i think that is that is the argument and that is the the kind of stance that at least Danae in that article took was, you know, we, we push back this movie already and we're willing to push it back another year to fall 2021 vaccines should be rolled out. Hopefully things are back open. He's willing to kind of change, you know, that timeline again, like he's already been working on it for three years. It's basically done from my understanding. Um, they're just waiting for the right time to release it. So what's waiting another year? To, to put it out i mean i think it's just a very um you know self-centered no, i'm not saying that in a selfish way but it's a thinking from his perspective um argument because in the end i mean when uh fall 2021 comes around there's gonna be a huge backlog of other movies like other things will have been made people are still making movies right now um when are they going to come out are they just all going to dump them all as soon as the vaccine vaccination rates hit 70 percent like there's, there's still going to need to be a rollout strategy and there just won't be time. People won't go to enough movies for all of these blockbusters to all make their money back and all be the success that, you know, they, they deserve to be. Um, but that the attention won't be there because that, that att- time and attention should be spread out over uh, two years. And instead, it's going to get all concentrated into, you know, two or three months as soon as people start reopening theaters. But we we don't make the movies. We also don't fund the movies. But you know, as consumers of them, um, I, I'm excited for for big movies to come out again. And so, you know, however yeah, that's too. going to gonna pan out, I'm gonna try to vote with my dollars to support, you know, uh, support the the movie makers themselves. Buying Tenant is a great way to do it. And I, I mean, I've really been thinking. So I, th- I think I'll pick up the blu-ray that i haven't bought one of these yet the ultra hd blu-ray that's the 4k good it's a good one right 
Um, cause I would love to see it not streamed. I'd like to see it looking as good as it can. I got a new TV this year. Um, I've got a PS five now, so I can see it in higher res and, um, also Lord of the Rings. I'd love to, to buy the remaster that just came out, uh, of that as well. And I mean, yeah, buying this stuff, that is the way you support them compared to streaming streaming. I mean, doesn't, doesn't really support them all that much. So, um, Anyway, yeah, it's going to be a mess. One thing that was weird about all this, though, is how many people I've seen that are like, I'm not going to miss the theaters. I'm just glad that I'm going to be able to watch it from the comfort of home. I'm not going to have to sit next to other people hearing them chew popcorn and blah, blah, blah. I'm just like, that many people didn't like the theater? Like, the theater is my favorite thing. I miss theaters so much. It's, I don't know, like, it is movies to me. I really, really love the theater experience. So I don't know. I've been surprised how few other people, or I don't know, I'm sure other people can relate, but how many people dislike it as well? That's been weird to to see a bit of that pushback. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I like the experience of going to the movies too. I mean, that's that's part of it to me is, you know, you have your tickets, you, you know, I, I don't really get food or drink really because I don't want to have to like go to the bathroom during the movie or miss any of it. So I never drink anything during going to the movies, but it, but it is part of the experience. And, you know, I am the kind of person that will, I'll pay, if it comes out in IMAX, I will pay extra and I will drive further to mm-hmm. go see yeah, Christopher Nolan's movie in IMAX or Star Wars or Marvel movie or what have you. Yeah, I saw um, Interstellar twice at our IMAX because they were uh, projecting it on film. Yeah, same. I, I'll drive an extra, you know, whatever distance to go see Hateful Eight in 70 millimeter and stuff like that. Um, mm-hmm. so, so that's that's what I tend to do. Um, now that I have a one-year-old, I can understand people that probably have kids and stuff like that. It is easier to put the kids to bed and then watch a movie at home. It, sure. It's definitely an easier thing to do versus getting babysitter and stuff like that. But I don't know if a lot of people are like me, but you know, you're, you're locked at home this year. You know, you're, you're like, what do we, what do we do? And it's like, we're going to watch TV. So I know a lot of people <laughs> have like invested in home theater stuff. Like I upgraded my Sono system yeah. a little bit. I got the arc, I got the subwoofer. Uh, I already had a TV that I was happy nice. with. Um, and same with, same with video games, which I know we want to talk about a little bit too of, you know, like maybe I'll get back into video games. Cause like, I can't go see my friends or go to a restaurant or, you know, it's, it's even worse and more locked down here than it is where you are. But, you know, I've only been on a plane once this year and it was in February. So it's just, mm-hmm. it's just a weird year, but it's a time where people are maybe investing in more of that home entertainment and video game type stuff. And there's not been a lack yeah, for, for sure. stuff to, to watch or play. This episode is brought to you by Zenny, makers of affordable online eyewear. And when I say affordable, you've probably got a number in your head. You're thinking about other online glasses companies that you've checked out before, but they are redefining what affordable means. Like think a lower price point than you even imagined. And all of a sudden buying just one pair of glasses isn't necessarily enough. I mean, I like to change glasses with different outfits. Not everything requires the exact same color matching. And with Zenny, you easily can. Zenny has a huge selection of frames online. If you notice when you watch my YouTube videos that I change my frames a lot, it's part of the reason. I've got a whole bunch of them. I just ordered a 
whole bunch of new Zenny frames. They look great. They feel great. The quality is very high. They are very well-made glasses. And if you haven't bought online frames before, I definitely recommend checking out their online try-on system. It's super easy. You use a little webcam and all of a sudden you can really see how the glasses look on your face. The technology is pretty cool. Like It not only knows the exact size of your head compared to the frames in the digital system, but it can track you left and right so you can turn your head and get a real sample of what the frames are going to look like on you. In 2020, it is the best way of trying on glasses. So to find out more, hit the link in the description below. And thanks again to Zenny for supporting the show. Yeah. Um, I mean, let's talk about video games a little bit then because it's been out. I shouldn't talk about them too long because it's so not what this show is about. I just made a YouTube. Finally, I think it's my, no, I made an Oculus Rift video. So this is going to be my second video game YouTube thing. But for anybody that doesn't know, like video games were my culture growing up like i was full on a gamer as a teenager that is like what i'm into or what 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 i was into um and in between then and now i usually go through bursts of binging on a few games a year where basically i don't know i find every like six months or so i'll just start getting excited about something that's coming up and then i'll play it a whole bunch and then i don't play it at all for a while but it's still like the the it's still something I'm always following. And the last like month or two, I after, actually was like before the election, I was listening to all news podcasts, all politics podcasts. I was just kind of getting too obsessed with it, getting too caught up in the news. After the election, I was like, okay, time to cleanse. And since then, I've like only been listening to video game podcasts, and not even like. I'm skipping a lot of my usual tech shows, not listening to any like cinematography shows anymore. I haven't listened to Roger Deakins podcast in a while. Um, all of the, my like regular podcast diet, just, I'm like, I just want my brain to eat candy all day long. Uh, so a lot of kind of funny is my, my favorite one. So I'm listening to everything on there, a few of the IGN podcasts, but yeah, I mean, I've had more time to listen to podcasts than to play the games that I'm listening about. But as soon as the break hits, I'm going to, crack open that ps5 and and really give it a run for its money anyway I, mean, uh, <laughs> what, I was a video what game kid too for sure i mean i i grew up like i would build my own computer to play video games um bought like xbox and i mean i've had every, everything from 8-bit to 16-bit 32-bit like all the way up through mm-hmm. i've had uh, a console and this generation of playstation 4 and xbox one is that what it's called yeah. Um, see, like I, I, just I can, literally generation. can never remember Xbox names, even yeah, the, the current went, Xboxes. Like I, I yeah. say them wrong all the time because they don't make any sense. Yeah, they're horribly named. They didn't just go to Xbox two. They went from Xbox one to 360. And then it's like, where do you go from there? Do you go to 720? Like, what what are you going to do? And then they went. So no, they went. Yeah, it's a no mess. number 360. Then they went to one. Now they're adding Roman numerals. And it's like, what are you doing, Microsoft? Anyway, um, just when you think so, it can't get any yeah, worse. Yeah. But I basically took a break from video games like for five years because I started my business about six years ago. Mm-hmm. And I felt like video games when I had my desk job and when I worked at a startup, I like used them as an escape a little bit of like, I don't like my my day. And so at night yeah. I'm going to escape and play video sure. games. And on my commute, I'm going to listen to video game podcasts. Um, but then I was running my business. I enjoyed what I was doing. And I feel like I got to a point this year with, the lockdown and stuff like that. I'm like, I'm going to get back into gaming. Number one, free time. Number two, uh, it actually helped me reconnect with people. 
like friends from high school and college that you know that was one of the ways we could stay in touch again was to play video games so started playing mm -hmm. you know tabletop simulator uh on the pc which is just like playing a board game oh, in person cool but, uh with i have with not even friends from high that, school but that sounds that sounds like the best way to hang out online well and i also i'm just realizing i kind of shortchanged you on the intro probably in the last episode i explained what you do but we, when you say your work can you give us a quick uh elevator explanation of what what you what you do yeah, so I kind of have three things I do on a day-to-day -day basis. The first one is video production work for clients. Um, the second one is I run SwitchPod, which is a tripod that I invented with uh, Pat Flynn, a friend of mine. And so I run the day-to-day -day of that. And you had just retailers. announced, like, the last time you were on here, had had just come out, like, totally. Yeah, it was, was on Kickstarter. The day before, I think, you had launched the Kickstarter. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then the third thing I do is this kind of stuff, podcasts, YouTube, uh talk like take like 20 minute videos to talk about a single camera with the other the other camera nerds on the internet so those those are kind of like the three things i do for for work um all of which have been busy this year but still made time to you know play zelda breath of the wild and play among us with my friends sometimes and those types of games nice okay yeah so forget about working <laughs> we'll get back to that in a minute um so uh which consoles do you have right now you got a switch and a ps4 is that right? Yeah. So I actually, I inherited a PS4 from my friend who got a PS5. He just, he literally just mailed it to me and like 20 of his games. And he's like, <laughs> nice. here's a year or two worth of entertainment. Like just mail it back when you're done. And I was like, oh, thank you. I appreciate that. So right now I'm playing Uncharted 4. You know, uh, oh, yes. Well, I was about to say, as soon as I got my PS5, it actually, it made me appreciate the PS4 even more because, um, you know, I was like, I was looking at some of the new games for it and I'm like, these look really good. But you know what? Uh, Uncharted looked really good too, and Red Dead Redemption looked amazing. And I I just got I picked up Ghost of Tsushima for PS5, which is a PS4 game. And all of these, I'm like, PS4 was awesome, and there are so many games out for it right now. And yeah, Uncharted 4, I came to very late. You're coming to it even later, but it holds up. I mean, it's still like you know, it's like discovering the Marvel franchise, Marvel Marvel franchise right now. You know, it's like it's this gem. Yeah, and I I think that that's something that's helpful to do if you are behind on gaming is like don't have the latest console or don't buy the latest games because you buy the latest <laughs> games they're sixty or seventy dollars. If you wait a year, they're twenty or less used. You know, so yeah, it's the same thing. Yeah, with, I paid like fifteen bucks for Uncharted and, and cameras and all that kind of stuff. Like if you're not on that cutting edge, it's it's going to be better for your wallet, honestly. Um. Yeah. No. It's uh. It's super true. And uh, have you been following at all the Cyberpunk 2077 news lately? Because a little that has bit. been um, a wild ride. I took like 10 minutes today to to figure out why everyone was talking about it, why they're <laughs> refunding everybody and, you know, watching people posting, you know, the the performance on like a PlayStation 4 or, you know, things like that. So, yeah, it's I, I can see from a game developer's perspective, you want to push the boundaries. And so you're pushing the boundaries with the PC always because they always have like the highest and gear and equipment to use or like the brand new console and things like that. But you're like, well, we also want to make the game available for all these people because there's tens of millions or hundreds of millions of console users, you know, that have the PS4 and stuff like that. So what a failed launch though. Yeah. I feel really, well, okay. I was about to say, I feel really bad for them. I feel really bad for the developers but the management just clearly walked right into this. I mean, it, they knew how bad this was. 
Like they absolutely knew. And they issued an apology the next day or the, within the week saying like, Oh, sorry. Like people are disappointed. Uh, we'll, we'll offer a refund. And so will Sony. And Sony was like, wait a minute, that's not our policy. We don't do refunds. And so then now Sony's giving everyone a refund and pulling the game from the store, which I think is unprecedented. Like this doesn't happen. So this is like, this is really big gaming news. This is going to last. Um, Anyway, I still I got the game. I picked it up before it was pulled, so I will still get to play it on the PS5, which it runs fine on. Um, but man, what a what a mess! Um, how do you kind of balance it now? Like, do you think you're going to keep playing games more going forward? Because I definitely have like this guilt that kicks in if I'm playing for more than after about like if I play for two hours, I'm like oh, I'm starting to feel a little like I know all the other stuff I could be doing right now. I mean, I have pretty strict boundaries around work and life and play, I would say. Um, I keep pretty regular hours. I mean, I work from home. Um, I have a garage studio and an office downstairs. Um, and I, I keep pretty regular hours, you know, around nine-ish to around five-ish each day. I'm working, take a lunch break. Um, That's crazy to me. And I so <laughs> I don't. Yeah, I don't really work at night. Like, it's rare for me to work late unless there's some sort of deadline or something like that. And I really try not to work weekends. Um, but, I mean, it took me years to get to this point. And having a daughter definitely helped, like, formalize formalize those, those times of days. Um, so I typically only play at night or on weekends if I'm playing. And it's usually only mm. one night a week, maybe two nights. Because... Most of the nights I want to like hang out with my wife and do something together or whatever. So, you know, it, it depends on like if she's really into Great British Bake Off and she's trying to watch the season or, you know, like we're, we're getting more used to like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to play Uncharted and you're going to watch a show on laptop or something like that. Um, but the guilt was definitely there when I was starting my business and mm-hmm. that's kind of when I, you know, stopped playing games was like, well, my business isn't to where I want it to be. So I don't feel like I can play games. Like I haven't, I haven't earned it yet. Yeah. You know, I'd, I'd kind of love to do a whole round table conversation about this sometime, like get, you know, three or four creators on and just talk or not even creators, just adults, you know, like now that we have responsibilities, cause it's something I think about a lot, that balance of how should you feel about just turning your brain off for a while um, and doing something that's antisocial often, you know, even if you're playing online, unless you're playing with actual friends, um, often well anyway maybe because i play single player games so i'll just speak for myself it's like yeah this is kind of a selfish moment i'm like i'm just i'm not thinking too hard and i'm relaxing um when is that a good thing and when is it when is it not a good thing but uh yeah i feel like i could i could go into too much of a rabbit hole about that so let's move on to one of the bigger topics that i wanted to fill up a little more of the episode which is what was it like working this year um, and you know, not, not just in a personal way, like we could say how individually busy we are, which I think, you know, might be helpful to, to some people out there. Um, just as a, a frame of reference, like there's, um, do you listen to wandering DP podcast at all? Yeah. Yeah. He does like an annual report kind of thing where he has, he just like goes through his numbers. Like, this is how many shoot days I had this year. Uh, does a survey of the audience talking about how much they shot, what their, average rates were, whether their rates were higher this year or last year, just, you know, like a business report. So if you're a cinematographer, you can see like, here's where I sit in the industry. Um, and 
I don't know. So I, 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 that's not exactly what we're going to do. I didn't prepare anything for this, but um, yeah, I don't know. Hopefully it's helpful for, for anybody that works in a similar field to, to us to get a frame of reference of like, this is what it was like for other people. Um, so I'll go first. Cause I, I don't, I don't want to you know make you volunteer more than you uh, signed up for, but like generally for us, uh, as soon as COVID started, everything was canceled. 100%. Like we had, we were really solidly booked. Like, tip, you know, we've been pretty busy for the last two or three years, which, you know, we're very thankful for. And all of it was off. And that was, you know, a very significant bit of money. And actually, I, I'll, I'll bleed this into my uh, apology to anybody that follows me, follows me on Instagram for how many sponsored posts there have been lately. And people have commented on it. It is obvious. Um, there's a lot. And it's because that whole period just disappeared. And some of the like social media sponsorship stuff we does is on contracts that still need to be finished. It was canceled for a period of time. Then everything got um, reactivated towards the fall and had to be caught up on. So uh, that also applied for our commercial work as well, that, um, you know, there was a, there was still stuff that kind of turned back on. And yeah, in general here, we were much less locked down um, until recently. Now things are have tightened up a lot. Uh, the numbers in Alberta, where I am, have been climbing like they have everywhere else in the world. So things have tightened up a lot lately. Um, and now the we've I've, I've still happen to be very busy with YouTube stuff. Anya's busy with um, Instagram posts, and we're working on all that together. But the commercial stuff. Basically, there were, it was very tied to, to lockdown, and it slowed down as the lockdown came. So, um, which happened to coincide with Christmas break for us. So, I don't know. That's the, sort of the rhythm of the year. Um, was it anything like that for you? Yeah, I mean, I spend a lot of my time normally uh, traveling for for my video work. Um, probably six to eight different times in the year i would fly somewhere film for a couple days fly home kind of thing um and did zero of those this year so um thankfully my my main client that i work with is local uh about a half hour away from me so they went you know hard on video this year because that was the one way they could reach their customers was to make YouTube videos, film online courses, do live workshops, that sort of thing. So I have a retainer with them and it actually went up this year. And that was, that was the main thing that made this year fairly equal to last year, at least client work wise. Um, but also SwitchPod started shipping at the end of last year. So we were probably like five months into shipping the product, uh, before all the coronavirus and lockdown stuff started. And you know, we kept kept making switch pods, kept making accessories. There's a lot of day-to-day stuff to to run with that business of working with retailers, making sure they get their shipments, they're paying invoices on time, replying to customers, you know, just a lot of the stuff that goes with a physical product business. So I started running that day-to-day, taking a draw from that monthly as well. So that kind of helped offset the client work that I wasn't doing um as well as you know like the owner draws of you know profit of the company as well so that's kind of how my financial world looked this year um and then the digital stuff you know like youtube ad money or affiliate income and things like that was pretty steady because i just continued to sporadically put out 
a few videos a year, which is like my, my cadence right. of like when it's when it's slow. That's when I put out YouTube videos. That's when I put out podcasts. But mm-hmm. it wasn't slow this year, so I didn't put yeah. out as many as I wanted. Yeah, I think you did a few less. Maybe it was since SwitchPod, probably a little connected to it. Uh, I think you used to be a little more regular before you started doing that. But yeah, I mean that has a big, big impact. I'm basically kind of running two businesses, and then I do YouTube stuff for fun. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's 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 a challenging thing for uh, you. Do this, I'm sure. Where it's like, what do I work on right now? Like, what do I sit down at my desk and work on right now uh, when you have so many different things. I wish I and, knew. Yeah. yeah. And so you, all you can really do is, at least what I do is I have like a different column in right now it's in notion. I used to just do it on my whiteboard of like my different businesses or my different big projects and then write down all the possible things I could do and then star like the top five or 10 that are most urgent or most important. Mm-hmm. And then like, that's what I work on and just know I'm never going to get to the rest of those or at least not today or not this week. And and you just kind of have to be okay with walking away from it and playing a video game or doing what you need to do to recharge and just know that you're never going to get everything on your to-do list checked off. But it's tough when you follow people that are very good at putting content out on a schedule or um, being really quick about it. I follow when, too many of those people. It drives you me know, crazy. You know, the camera comes out. <laughs> and also it's not just, you're not just comparing yourself to the one person, you're comparing yourself to everybody and, you know, just the breadth of everybody putting stuff out. But I have to remind myself that those people, that's also like their main thing. Like I have main things that mm-hmm. are not that. So, you know, I try to be nice to myself, but you know, yeah, you, you, can, you can also be your worst boss too. Yeah. We divide our attention a lot as well. So I think some people that follow me have a perception that I'm a little more full-time of a YouTuber than I actually am. Um, but still, somehow, I happen to get the most videos ever out in November, which, I mean, good for me, I guess. But again, that was that was because of a backlog of sponsored content that just was due, like it just had to be done. Um, and I will say something that's been really good, uh, and I've talked to other creators. It's not, It doesn't seem completely universal, but it's relatively common that AdSense revenue went way up in the fall. Um, I, mean, I guess tell me if you've had any of this experience. You weren't posting as much, so maybe you didn't see it. Um, but if I look at the end of the year versus the beginning, my average views didn't drastically change. I always get a spike around iPhone season, but, um, even if you discount, take that out of the equation, I would, I'm, I'm seeing almost four times the AdSense revenue that I was at the beginning of the year. And it was always steady before that. Like, you know, overall YouTube made up, let's see if I can think of it real quick. YouTube AdSense made up less than 5%. Uh, maybe, you know, maybe like 3% of our total income, maybe five. Um, and you know, now it's going to be four times more like it's So it's, it's not like, uh, suddenly that four times is, is what is going to give us a whole nother career, but it's really surprising because it wasn't based on what I did. Like same, uh, I don't know. I'm releasing more videos. I didn't have more views, similar views, way more AdSense money. And I know why, I mean, they're, there are more interstitial ads playing in the middle. They're doing like double up at the beginning and the end. Um, but there's also just higher ad rates. I don't know. Just It was interesting for anybody that's listening that wants to get into YouTube. Just that's a thing that I experienced. And I've talked to a few other people that have as well. Did you see any of this or? Yeah, a little bit. I mean, it's definitely um, companies are maybe opening up spending a little bit more uh, as well. To, you know, And it's the holidays. People are pushing product. They're trying to make up for the the slow year and so you know there's a lot more ad spend going on for sure um but i think there's also just a lot 
of people watching stuff too, you know? And if you're, if you're making content about stuff that's new, like you tend to do, um, you know, people want to find out about it. You know, they want to see the latest iPhone test. They want to, you know, they want to look at like what holiday gifts should I be looking at? And, you know, so I think it, I think it's a, a combination of all those things. What was the actual production stuff like for you? Um, you know, in terms of, uh, I, you know, I don't know what the lockdown schedule was like, uh, exactly where you were and for everybody was different. Um, but you know, we all had to be a lot more careful. What was it like shooting things on a set this year? Uh, mine were very small, so not any extra people. Um, you know, I, I did have one project that I was considering doing and flying for, um, but it was just something that my wife wasn't comfortable with, honestly. Um, so, you know, I was going to maybe send people and they ended up just hiring local people. And I basically lost out on the job, even though it was a client that I've worked with like seven times before. So, um, it, the, the projects were just, were just smaller and like more, more streamlined. Um, and I, I, I know at least my friends locally that have been doing a lot more, uh, of the produced video shoots in the area, um, that they've had to, you know, get tests and that sort of thing and stay, stay quarantined and things like that. So, you know, things are still getting made for sure. Um, you know, TV movies, everything like that. And even the smaller production things, but it's just a matter of, of being, being safer and keeping your distance and filming stuff differently or in different places or outside or, you know, just kind of adjusting to the new normal. Yeah. That's what I was going to say is we've had, and I don't even know if it was caused by COVID or was kind of coincidental, but that we filmed a lot of outdoor stuff. Um, and it was sort of thematic to what we were shooting. So, um, it worked, it worked out great. You know, we live in the mountains. There's a lot of beautiful stuff around us. So that's why we're on location, but a bunch of our bigger commercial things were outdoor nature shoots. Um, so that worked out well. Um, and then, yeah, in terms of like more studio style things, yeah, it's just been as small as it can be, you know, uh, just like the two of us and the client, uh, or the subject, uh, the client is not there anymore. So we've had a few where the client is calling in, you know, they're just on Skype or whatever, uh, we're wearing masks the whole time, just being aware of maintaining a distance. Um, yeah, it's been weird. Do you, I'm sure by now you must've heard the Tom Cruise rant, um, I, yeah, on, I, on I did stumble across that yesterday. Um, I mean, it's, it's, it's Tom Cruise, but it's also, um, I mean, it's kind of true. Like you gotta take things seriously. I mean, yeah. it's the same thing with, with, uh, you know, athletes, you know, athletes coming down with it or, you know, you know, you could take your whole team down, you could take down the whole season and, and that's your profession. You know, it's same with, with Hollywood, same with any, any job you have, you know, so, um, can see him getting very spirited about, about that. Um, <laughs> well, yeah, but. that's what I was thinking. I was like, I just, I wish I loved my job as much as Tom Cruise does. Like he just loves acting like, which I think is part of why he's a little, a little nuts maybe, but he is just absolutely obsessed with work. Like he loves what he does to the point that he's willing to be a total asshole about it on set. Um, and I don't know, it was just like an interesting moment of sort of seeing, um, you know, that intensity because he's like the, th this whole industry is depending on these few blockbuster movies that are still in production, um, continuing to run and not shutting down. I mean, you know, Batman shut down cause their star got it. Um, 
So these, the risks are real and I don't know, very weird times, but, um, do you, what do you sense it's going to be like moving into 2021? Like, are you adjusting your, the structure of your production business? Are you offering a different type of service or advertising differently? Like, is there anything you're intentionally doing different to adapt? Yeah, I'm not looking to expand or anything like that. I think it's going to be the same as it was most of this year through summer into fall of next year. I don't I don't see much changing. You know, it's still gonna take a while for vaccines to roll out. A lot of people are possibly not gonna get vaccines. It's just like you you don't know what's gonna happen. Like, um, so I, I think that, you know, for me, I'm just having conversations with my past clients and being like, what do you need? What can we do? How can we do it safely? And um, not, you know, overly investing or hiring up or anything like that. Um, any mm-hmm. any major changes just kind of. Well, I, I, I'm doing the opposite. We did our first full-time hire, <laughs> which is uh, Marco, who happens to be editing this episode right now. So hi, Marco. Thanks for, for working on this. Um, but that was sort of a long time coming for us. We were like, you know, we were always, we've been at the edge of what we could do and hiring freelance people for one-offs for a long time. Uh, and there's just sort of an opportunity available where he was able to work more or less full time, um, uh, to help us with stuff. So, um, that's been really great. He, he was doing it remotely with us for a while. So that's one way of adapting. And, and one thing I think I'm glad to see that software is also adapting to this at the same time. Uh, so one of the more recent Final Cut updates was totally revamping their proxy workflow, which we've been taking advantage of right away. So the big thing there is that now you can generate any size of proxy you want. It used to be you were kind of locked into, I think it would always create it at, wait, what? first of all, what are you editing in? Are you Premiere? I don't remember. Yeah, I use Premiere Pro, but I used Final Cut for probably three yeah. or four years before switching. Okay, right. And so, which Premiere already had better proxy options. But so now in Final Cut, you can generate H.264 files that are, uh, you know, either 10% of the size or 25% or 50% of the size of your originals, or you can generate ProRes. There's a lot of different options. Um, So just way more flexibility. And then there's also new options in terms of exporting your library with proxies and uh, just a lot more mobility for projects, which has been so helpful and we've been using right away. And also came just in time because a lot of the new cameras you have to generate proxies for. I don't know if you've been shooting on any R5 or R6 working with that footage this year, but it's very clunky. It's very McClunky. It's uh, Yeah, it slows things down a lot, and, and I've been generating more proxies than ever. Um, and then, yeah, there are other new types of workflow like uh, PostLab um, and, and just other things where you can sync files back and forth. Uh, what's your main method for doing it? Like, do you generate proxies and throw them in a Dropbox style uh, storage system? So I have a full-time editor and he's lived in another state for about three years now. Um, So we've kind of, uh, you've been like working on our process ever since. Um, But right when he was moving to another state, uh, Adobe came out with team projects uh, they were in beta for a bit, but they're fully into Premiere now. You have to pay for the higher plan. So I pay 80 bucks a month for each of our accounts to Adobe, um, which adds up wow, over the course a of a year. 
Um, but it's something so integral to our business that we literally couldn't function otherwise. So basically what we do is team projects with Premiere is kind of like software code where you can, everyone can have the project open and you share your changes. And then if there are issues with your changes, you say like, do you want to take their changes? Do you want to like copy yours and have both of them? So we can both yeah, be editing in a project that has really good share control. Um, really easy to relink files because you know they're, they're mapped to this hard drive on my end and this hard drive on his end um so for for bigger projects if i if i need to give him a half a terabyte or more i'll mail him a hard drive it'll be there in two days um if i'm trying to do something with a faster turnaround i'll either upload him the full resolution files or i'll make proxies um depending on you know how big the project is and what it was filmed on and you know what resolution and stuff like that but um more recently we have kind of switched from using dropbox for that just to be using frame.io just for speed reasons like you can upload so much faster using frame.io's uh actually uploader app that they have um and so i would just upload the full res immediately um, and that would be faster than me making all the proxies. And then if he wants the proxies, frame processes all the files and gives you all the different resolutions. So you could go and download proxy sized if you wanted to. Um, where it gets tricky is like sequence settings and stuff like that. So usually I will make all like the sequences for everything um, with the original footage. And then he'll say, okay, here are where the proxies are, but then it doesn't mess up like the resolution or the frame rate or any of that kind of stuff. Um, but th that is our process. And sometimes I'll do the exports if he doesn't have the originals. And if he gets the originals in the mail, he'll do the exports. So, you know, it, it's a convoluted process. We're just so used to it after having done it for a few years um, that it didn't, yeah. didn't really slow us down at all. Well, this perfectly circles back to my conversation about uh, having too many monthly bills and, I've been looking at doing that exact same thing. I've I've used Frame.io before when because uh, I I sort of designed the whole video system for Stocksy for how editors would receive stock video footage and sort through it and post it to the site and it was all built in the back end using Frame.io services. So I'm really familiar with how it works, but I don't personally have an account right now, and I'm very hesitant to just create any new accounts when I can do it with Dropbox. So same with uh, am I getting it right PostLab? is the version control for Final Cut. Um, and it integrates with Frame.io, so I know the uploader is faster for it. Like, that's the right way to do it. If you're going to be using it all the time, really lean on it heavily. I just don't know if I want another monthly bill. <laughs> you know, or, or no, it's two true. I mean, we use case, so We've been using Frame for you know, client review, you know, first. And now we're yeah. starting to use yeah, it's it great for, that. for file sharing. Yeah. Okay, let's talk about cameras, which uh, I, I wanted to save this for last because I know... Talking about this specific camera, which is the Canon C70, will be useful to the least number of listeners. <laughs> but it's like it's it's really exciting for both of us. And you just got yours, and I just yeah. committed to it. So I got two of the, them. Actually, the suspense this is, is over. This is one of them here. Oh man! So the suspense is over for anybody that's been wondering what I might pick up all year because I have canceled two or three pre-orders throughout the year, and um. I had made the pre-order for this. I did cancel the C70 pre-order when it first came in. It arrived and I was like, I'm going to pass. Now I'm going to do it. Um, I just realized I had to. So 
what's it been like? So have you shot on it yet or? Yeah, I filmed a little bit on it. Um, mainly just been doing tests next to the C200 and um, filming this on it right now. Um, but I mean, I've been a Canon, you know, shooter for almost a decade now. And I've seen how they've crippled cameras. I've seen how they've held back on features. Um, but I've also seen the progression of, you know, all, all the things that I actually need to, to do my work, to take photos and, and make videos. And I feel like the C70 and also the R5, which I bought an R5, which comes tomorrow. Um, and and I, like I was saying about the, the iPhone earlier, like I'm not someone that always has the latest model. I, I wait until the right time to to upgrade my tech because it's very expensive and it also, there, there's a lot of time to learn, you, you know, a new piece of tech. There's also all the accessories. It's not just the camera body. It's, okay, I need a faster SD card, so I got to get a bunch of V90 cards. I got to, you know, with the R5, I'm going to need the, you know, the different card reader because it's got different cards that I don't yeah. have. And, like, yeah. oh, my yeah. old SD yeah. cards it's aren't like, fast like enough like a thousand anymore. different leeches. Yeah, yeah so... It, it all adds up. And so I, I am like very particular about when, when I do upgrades. Um, so I've, I've gone from, I had a Canon 60D to a 5D Mark III, and then I had another 5D Mark III, and those were the workhorses for years. Then I jumped to the C100 Mark IIs um, to, to do video work. Bought one of those about six years ago when I started my company. Uh, ended up buying another one because I didn't like how the 5D looked next to the C100. Um then then i jumped to red which is like was like a big jump and it was just too much for me honestly like yeah it was it was too expensive i wasn't getting paid to do the work that needed red and um it was making my job harder so so i sold my red well and if i can interrupt for a second yeah go ahead i I actually i referred to your red process quite a bit in the when i was buying my c200 and i was comparing it to an alexa I think that was right around when I was talking to you and Matt Diavella that both had that same experience of buying reds and ditching them because you're like, this actually isn't what I need. Um, so just if anybody wants like a little more about that, it's in one of my YouTube videos. And we might have talked about it last time you were on here as well. No, but it's a it's a thing. I mean, you definitely want you want the best camera you can use. Like you want the best image quality. You want all the features. You want the dynamic range. You want everything. But when you get to a certain type of camera, you know, specifically, I would say red or Ari, you lose ease of use for sure. You, you lose the ability to do things mm-hmm. by yourself because they're not built for people to film by themselves with them. And so the, the simplicities of plugging audio into the camera, um, you know, being able to do things quickly, being able to run and gun consumer level media, like all the different things that, enable you to just focus on getting your work done or you know the shot you're trying to get as opposed to like fiddling with the tech so that was that was why i don't yeah. you know have a red anymore <laughs> yeah so i this was a this was really hard for me actually because i i like the red komodo more um, i did a few videos about it i loved shooting on that camera it made me happy like i i just felt really good that feeling of when you pick up a camera and it inspires you to shoot more is a real thing. Like I do get motivated when I feel like connected to the the gear that I'm using. And if I don't like the gear that I'm using, I want to use it less often. And the Komodo experience just was felt so right. I loved it. But 
I, I just, I know that there are all sorts of details about features that it is lacking um, that would, yeah, slow me down. I would create worse work. I would use it for less projects. And the C70 just ticks off like, eh, you know, every requirement. I'm just like, this is the way that I shoot. The fact that, I mean, the vertical mount is such a great example because like I do shoot professional vertical videos pretty often. Um, the fact that I'm not going to be shooting to raw, so I don't need to buy nearly as many memory cards or hard drives afterwards. Or what I do with my C200 right now is I shoot raw and I transcode it directly off the cards, which takes up a few hours, you know, like, and if I'm doing it on a laptop, I kind of have to remember to do the transcode overnight. And if I shot to multiple memory cards, that means I have to, you know, re like, it's not quick. It's, it really slows you down to, to shoot raw in a, in a fast responsive way without a team. Like you're saying, I mean, kind of needing multiple people to, to, to get it done. Um, and you were saying you don't even shoot raw on your C200, which is, it makes the C200 not a great camera. I would say like just the, just the eight bit it's great eight bit, but, um, there's a thing that I've all, I feel like we could also rant a lot about C200s here. It's always bothered me that the, uh, log color profile on the C200 in eight bit seems to have been designed for 10 bit. Like none of the default, I haven't found a LUT that transforms it correctly. Like there's something that happens with reds and magentas um, and certain blues that like, if it is in this certain tonal range, it'll turn into something totally whack and insane, converting it from log 8-bit to rec 709. And I just think it's because they put 10-bit color profiles on an 8-bit signal. Um, and I don't know, that's always bother bothered me, but... No, I, I've always been frustrated by Canon provided LUTs and how confusing they make them. Um, you know, coming from, you know, having having a red uh, that was in the IPP2 color space and you could literally, you know, with a couple couple drop downs, just so get, good. get the exact yeah. image that you want out of the camera. And, you know, I, I resorted to just shooting Canon Log, well, it's not called Canon Log 1, but Canon Log 1 was the only thing I ever shot on on the C200 because I oftentimes I was matching to C100 Mark IIs and they only had Canon log and they're all eight bit anyway. So Canon log is mainly made for eight bit, you know, cameras. And I would just grade it by hand, you know, I, you know, no, I know enough mm -hmm. about, about curves and, and stuff to, to make the Canon log look like normal. So that, that was the extent of what I did because anytime I tried to shoot in, uh, in, raw on the c200 or canon log three try to bring in any of the canon luts I, you know i i would reach out to canon people and make sure like yeah i'm i'm, cl I'm clicking those same things and when i do that in premiere it looks yeah. way different than it does in resolve or in final cut and it's just like something's just not right i'm just going to create it by hand because i i feel like i can massage it and get a better look out of it Okay, well, here's the thing that made me love the the C200. So it's it's interesting because we're both using the same camera, but in such different ways and like different things about it. And uh, I've had a lot of people ask this. So I at some point before I get rid of my C200, I should do a workflow breakdown. But the the thing that makes me love the color out of it, the way that I work with it, makes me so happy is like I plug the card into my computer. I don't download the footage. I dump it all into a timeline on Resolve, and I apply the Alexa LUT. Um, 
Canon log C log two was really designed to look pretty similar to log C. Is that what the Alexa log is called? So when you use that transform, it, it, it doesn't look like Alexa footage, but it looks very good. Um, and it has a lot of those same qualities. Whereas I feel like the Canon LUTs always go for this sort of technical precision that just, it does not look as flattering to me at all. Um, the, the most visible thing is that there's a sort of a, a smoothness to skin tones that comes from the Alexa where it, it actually loses some amount of detail and contrast in it. So like, but the effect is that pores become like less visible. It's like less aggressive on the skin using the Alexa LUTs on Canon footage than using the Canon LUTs on Canon footage. When I apply that in Resolve, bring the exposure down to where it's supposed to be, and then I give it a little uh, saturation boost because the, there's a bit of a mismatch between the Alexa. Then I just export all those to ProRes LT, and I have like transformed Rec. 709 footage that looks really beautiful. Still has a little bit of flexibility to add a bit of a film emulation on it in the end, um, and that's my overall workflow. And I've abs- that's why I love the C200. I don't love it for 8-bit. I'm shooting 8-bit on it right now for, for this because I need a long record time. Um, but I've always been really disappointed with, with the 8-bit stuff. So, I mean, but obviously you're, you're making it work. Like it works. You've been making it work. I've been struggling through it. Yeah, I mean, you, you kind of get used to the tools and you get used to the limitations. I think my biggest frustration with it is um, it's, it's a very capable camera if you're willing to put in the effort to shoot raw and to do the, the grade on the raw and have the memory cards and the computer speed and, you know, everything you need to do to, to be able to do that. Mm -hmm. Um, but for the work that I do, I didn't need that. You know, I, I just wanted more than eight bit. I wanted, I wanted 10 bit. I wanted to be able to do certain things with my camera that the, the C200 never was upgraded with firmware to allow me to do. Um, so yeah, so I, so I sold mine last week and bought C70s instead. So how do we talk about C70s without going on for an hour? Like what, what's the most, what's the most interesting stuff that we can just jump right into? Like, I just, I want to just go on and on and on about it. There's a lot to say. Yeah. Uh, what's like, what, what are the, like the headline things? What do you, what jumped out at you using it first? I mean, I, I bought this after basically watching the CVP video, um, and, great review Gerald Undone's video um and some of the other ones also they were like very (laughs) technical type things as well as I you know I consumed whatever I could about the manual and things like that to make sure that the the things that I was lacking from a C200 I was going to get from the C70 so the things that I didn't like about the C200 was I didn't get 10-bit 422 to SD cards I didn't like the noise in the shadows and how you had to overexpose the image to, to then bring it down and to, to do what you needed to do. The Canon uh, C200 doesn't really have Canon Log 2 technically, you know, if you're, it, you know, <laughs> you're just laughing because uh, you've gone down this rabbit hole There's too. something about the C200, like the C200 is in so many ways, like they crammed a few, like a, a professional chip into a consumer camera like there are some things that are full consumer about the c200 and other things that are very much professional and it's such a weird mashup i i don't know it's weird yeah the c200 also couldn't give me i couldn't record to one sd card the full resolution file and then the other sd card a proxy file i could do it with the raw to mm-hmm. a proxy but for whatever reason they didn't let you do that and for me and my workflow that's a big thing because i can make proxies at the same time i'm filming something 
upload the proxies to my editor and he can start going much much faster so there, there were all these little things that just like had always bugged me about the c200 and i didn't really need the the bigger form factor or the electronic viewfinder you know i wanted something smaller and compact and i like the form factor of this i can hand this to my wife who is used to taking photos and she can just film some b-roll of me like we did that this week um and when i hand her the c200 Mm -hmm. she's like i don't even know where to start with this thing um so there's there's just a lot of different things that are that are really nice um being able to toggle to to review your media is much quicker on the c70 than the c200 that that, that was so completely off yeah yeah yeah, you can just hit media and it comes right up just like you're used to on a 5D or a EOS R or whatever. You can review it and you can, yeah. So it's they made this just faster to use overall. The, the top handle is is garbage. Um, get a different one. Um, but are. if you just pretend like, if you just pretend like this is a, a, a 1D C Mark II or something like that, it's just a bigger DSLR style video specific camera. I think you'll be really happy with it. And there are some minor quirks and some minor accessories. You'll need to get like mini XLR cables, adapters and things like that. But I mean, so far I've been really happy with like using it, like physically using it, but also with the quality of the video that comes out of it. Yeah. Things like boot times, going back to to switching to media mode. It's one of those things that I find camera reviewers can be a little dismissive about. It's like, uh, you know, if if we're talking about a red, it's like, oh, this is the way red cameras are. You know, operators are used to having to wait. But for me, uh, buying the C200, that was the most we had ever invested in a camera and using it around my wife. And it's like, oh, can I see what we just shot? And I'm like, yeah, hold on a second. I'm going to turn off the camera and turn it back on. And it's the slowest boot of any camera we've ever used and the most expensive camera we've used. And that's just the way it is. Like, don't, don't worry about it, honey. That's just how cinema cameras are. Like, that just sounds crazy. Like, it sounds... Like, well, the, why, like, why did we get a cinema? You know, it's like it, now all of a sudden the camera camera has to like work harder to justify itself when there's little usability, things like that, that really get in your way. Um, same with, there's a bunch of things that the C200 does with playback and like those, those sort of, um, you know, like, oh, it's professional. So we left out these features. So there's no electronic level. Um, it's like it, there's no excuse for me, for those kind of things, also no electronic level in the C70. And when you try to show it to somebody that doesn't watch a ton of camera reviews, it becomes very evident how stupid some of these um, <laughs> lack of features or, or requirements or, or the way they use it are. So yeah, the media thing, that was the moment when I was like, I, I kind of have to get this camera. Like it makes so much more sense than the C200. Yeah. And it just, it just has a, it has a great image. It has Canalog 2 in it. And it has the dual gain output sensor that the C300 Mark III has. So at about half the price of that camera, you're getting most of the things that that camera has, which is, mm-hmm. is in my opinion, like the enough camera. Like that camera is enough to, to yeah. film whatever you want on. So the one place that I'll feel like I'm, I'm compromising when I pick up C200 or C70 is it it does have less dynamic range that is it's visible in the highlights from everyone else's tests you know i haven't done my own tests enough when i I used it for i think i had it for three days and only really shot on it one and it was a cloudy day so i couldn't test dynamic range Um, but the the best example is when you know often it's skies that are too bright very common 
And what you're losing is the color in those skies. Um, so it's like when you watch the ex- overexposure tests on the CVP um, technical breakdown, that's where you're like, you're seeing the blues lose the saturation first. And that's too bad. And that's, um, seems to be kind of a 10 bit thing. Like the raw is what holds onto it. The C200 holds onto it better. So I'm going to miss that. Like the, the dynamic range goes much further into the shadows. So I'm very curious to see that, you know, if you expose the C200 in its ideal way to both retain those highlights and maintain not too much shadow noise, compare that to the C70 where you're not necessarily underexposing, but exposing for the highlights so that we're not losing that clipped blue saturation. But, you know, because the noise in the shadows is so much better, especially compared to the sea, like Matt world's different. It looks a, a, like a completely different brand of camera, how much better the shadow noise is. Um, I feel like you could bring that exposure down a lot and still get a possibly better dynamic range. I don't know. I, I haven't seen that test because the way that uh, Gerald and CVP's tests were constructed just shows you how they all perform at the same exposure compensation if i'm making any sense no yeah you really have to shoot outdoors i feel like too to to get a feel for it beyond just charts like before i sold my c200 i shot some side-by-sides of uh, some charts and things like that and i feel like that can tell you about about noise and things like that if you black balance the cameras and you like you're in a very controlled environment and the lighting doesn't change and you're using f2.8 here and the same iso and you're like very like scientific kind of like you're pouring you know liquids and beakers and you're like making sure that everything matches um but there's something to going outside and filming in the environment that you're going to be filming in and you know like what if i just make sure that the the sky doesn't clip at all and like let me see what i can do with the shadows when i get back to my computer or you know like that that type of thing yeah is when you really learn what your camera is capable of and really learn what the sensor is capable of it's the same thing of you know, you've shot on a camera so much, you know how high you can go in ISO and it's still fine. Or you can still do use noise reduction and, you know, mm-hmm. bring it back. So it, it's just a matter of, you know, like any camera right now is good enough for what you're doing probably. And so it's just choosing the one that has, you know, ticks all the right boxes for you and then going and using it enough to the point where you know what you can do. You know how to overexpose it because you need to or underexpose it because you need to or don't go above this ISO or, you know, those are the types of things that, you know, you can watch as many YouTube videos about the camera as possible. But until you go and film the type of things you're going to film, <laughs> yeah. you're not going to learn how to use it. And, you know, I haven't really been super active in online like groups or forums or communities with with cameras and stuff. Um, but to, to find a C70 in stock, I actually got on Facebook. I don't re- use Facebook, but I got on Facebook groups just to figure out what stores had a C70 because I was trying to get one by the end of the year because I was going to be selling my C200 quickly. And in those groups, you can see a lot of people trying to learn their Canon cinema cameras, their C200s, their C500s, you know, whatever. And so you're seeing the things they're posting and they're, they're very quick often to complain that, you know, well, I just got the C70 and the autofocus isn't as good as the C200. And it's like, well, the environment you just showed us, like maybe the person turned their head completely. Like it's not going to be able to keep track mm-hmm. of that with face tracking autofocus. You need to be using face only because if you're on face priority, it's going to like try to, you know, jump to the back wall or whatever, you know. So a lot of the things that I was seeing people complain about this camera in particular. Speaking mistakes. 
were were making mistakes. They were they were like operator error, and so that that to me just showed me how important it is to not only learn your camera, read manuals, but also like on my end, it's like beyond just reviewing the camera, maybe I should make ten videos about the C seventy because there's so many intricacies for someone that's going to use this mm-hmm. daily about like just what are like the accessories I'm going to need to get or like how should I set up you know, all my custom buttons. Like, how do you do that? You know, like, and those are the types of things I can do on a channel of under 50,000 people that are mostly camera nerds. So, <laughs> right. you know, like I yeah. can, I can just do a bunch of videos about a specific camera because I'm nerdy enough to care about that. And, you know, watching just another review that is a lot of just the specs isn't as helpful as like someone that's had hands on the camera for 10 or 50 hours to, mm-hmm. to make me decide, yeah, that that is why I want to buy that camera. That is why I want to make that big of an investment. You know, the downside is that a lot of these videos, which like you do a great job of them. There's a lot of people that do. Um, but the downside is a lot of the videos get made when the camera first comes out, because that's when you're going to get the most attention for it. But I, I, I have way better information to give at the end of it. Like right now, I can make the best 5D Mark IV video you've ever seen because I really know that camera, but nobody cares anymore. Same with kind of why I think about doing a C200 workflow video because like now I really know. Some of the first videos I shot on it, um, I didn't realize how important shooting at the rated ISO was in, in RAW. So, you know, I'd shot at lower ISOs when I was outdoors instead of bringing in NDs and like lost all this dynamic range. I just made stupid mistakes. And if I had been writing my review of the camera then, then I would have been giving basically wrong information. Um, so yeah, like I really like these like deep dives and you really have time to talk about it a lot versus, um, you know, quick sort of like the lifestyle reviews in the first week or two of the camera coming out. I, I like it once you've done the tests and I got to hammer home so much to everybody all the time. Do your own tests. You can't understand a camera by watching what other people have done. Um, you like getting a feel for it is happens by shooting and you shouldn't be learning those lessons on a client job. You should be learning them on your own time, shoot your cat, shoot charts, go outside and shoot the sky, um, and figure it out for yourself because nobody else's video is going to really teach you those things without doing it yourself. So, um, yeah, I don't know, mix it up. No, I mean, it's, but, it's true. Uh, I also wanted the, to... the rush for the, sorry, just one more thing, the, the rush to review things immediately when they come out, because that's when people are excited about them. And so, you know, I typically don't do that because a, I'm not getting sent these cameras from Canon or any other company. Um, and B, any more time with them. So, you know, like some of my reviews are a, a full year or more after, but those still get searched and those still get watched by people. And they still get viewed. I watch them for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I really appreciated, you know, Crimson Engine uh, videos. He's like, he's been covering the C200 to this day. Like he's, I think kind of switching to the C70, but he's still doing C200 videos. Like that's great to see that kind of commitment to basically one camera. Like I wish, I wish every camera I owned had somebody that was just full-time dedicated to talking about it. Um, But Oh yeah. I wanted to also touch on just when we were talking about shooting outside, um, and that difference of experience, that's part of what led me to the C70 over the red as well is the red to me was a bit more of, it was also that like aspirational, like this is what I wish I shot, which is like very, you know, fashion or lifestyle, um, commercial stuff that, uh, is based in 
that looks like reality, but it's being, you know, lit and all the lights being reflected and controlled. And so it's like, you know, I don't know, like movies and commercials. That's what I want to shoot, like cinematic, cool looking stuff. But in reality, what do I actually shoot? I shoot a lot of this, a lot of in-studio stuff where the lighting is fully controlled and the dynamic range is totally limited and I don't need a ton of it. Um, and then, you know, B-roll for, for YouTube videos um, and even client stuff uh, is maybe 50-50 of fully controlled versus um, uncontrolled outdoors. I mean, I said earlier that a lot of our jobs this year happened to be outside and was that cinematic thing, the kind of footage that the red is perfectly suited for. That was only a few jobs uh, compared to all the other stuff, like plus the challenges of operating that red, it just wouldn't have been worth it. So um, what? Oh yeah. Okay. Other things I'm super excited for with it. I also want to make sure I want to touch on the adapter a little bit as well, which I'm guessing you don't have yet. I don't don't know if anybody has the new 0.71 speed booster yet, do they? No, I've, I've tried, like, I, I even called Canon and I was like, how can I get one of these as fast as possible? And he was like, we don't even sell them directly. You're going to have to buy them from a retailer. Like, so you can't buy it from Canon. Certain, yeah, you it, know, it's cinema weird. accessories. It's weird. They're yeah. not just out with it. Yeah. yeah just but supply okay, chain issues. It's yeah. a big deal because it really changes what the RF lens is and or the RF mount is and means and. I, I said this when I first tested the Komodo that the Komodo is what sold me on RF, even though that's a super 35 sensor. Cause all of a sudden I was like, wait a minute, I can put absolutely anything on this. Um, and I'd already been using my EF lenses on the Canon R and the R5 and the R6 that I've been shooting on a bit this year. Um, but once it's on a super 35 and you put a speed booster on there, I started realizing things like, okay, so right now I use my Sigma 18 to 35, 1.8 a lot, but my Canon 24 to 70 2.8 EF is now a better lens because it's a little bit sharper and it becomes, I think it's like a 25 2.0, um, becomes a fast, a stop faster, almost the exact same focal length. Um, and I'm like, I won't need that Sigma anymore, but that applies to all the lenses I have. So also like I've got the older 24 to 105 4.0, IS lens stabilized that becomes like a 24 to 105 2.8, which is awesome and stabilized. And now all of a sudden I have a stabilized lens that I don't really use right now. Cause I don't like the 4.0. So as I started doing the math on like, Oh wait, this is what all my lenses are going to become. I got a lot more excited. Yeah. I I'm really excited to try that right now. I just have the adapters that have the control ring on them. So, um, you know, that that's still a nice feature to have as well, but yeah, excited about the, <laughs> yeah. the the full frame, you know, being able to shoot my full frame EF lenses. I have like six of them here behind me on a super 35 millimeter sensor. Just, I don't know, it, op- it opens up a lot. It just is going to give me more, it's going to give me more light. I can shoot, you know, shallower. I can, you know, shoot without NDs, you know, like it's just going to enable, it's going to enable more for me. Yeah, the no ND thing is a big deal. Like I've been really in love with the Sigma 20 millimeter 1.4 that I've been using quite a bit for the last year that becomes a 20 millimeter 1.0. That's weird and cool. (laughs) So, and I can't put NDs on that because it's like a bulbous, it's a bulb front, right? You can't screw anything onto it. Um, so yeah, there's going to be, I don't know. It's going to open up some really cool possibilities when it is someday available, but it makes this weird situation of like, Hey, you just bought an RF camera 
do I want to buy any RF lenses? So uh, I don't know. I feel like Canon is confusing their upgrade path a little bit with this, um, especially for cinema people. Like, will there ever be a point where it's like, oh yeah, it's just clearly better to go all in on RF lenses. I almost, now I almost can't see that day because there'll always be certain advantages to sticking with EF. So that's sort of a, I don't know, it's a, it's a weird position and I don't see Canon having any path out of it because you're never going to, I saw somebody videos, an example you're talking about of people being confused in the Facebook group. Somebody in their video was like, uh, I wish Canon had made a, um, RF, a full frame RF to RF adapter. And that's just a complete misunderstanding about how lenses work because it's all about the flange distance, the distance from the tip of the lens to the sensor. That relationship is what dictates if you're able to adapt other glass or not. That's why it's now possible with the RF and it didn't used to be possible with EF. That's why we can't do the same thing on the C200. Yeah, I think there's definitely some confusion and about when is it time to upgrade to RF. I mean, I, you know, I bought an EOS R, um, right after like the first price drop basically because i wanted to get into more of the mirrorless features you know eye tracking autofocus and things like that that you weren't getting with the 5d series for photography and the ability to like shoot some 4k video on the go and that sort of thing but i i wasn't like fully invested and i haven't bought any rf lenses but i was also waiting for canon to put an rf mount on a cinema camera and this is the first one they did that on and so now i feel like I can, I can start investing in RF. And so I sold my R and I'm getting an R5. And so I'll have, you know, I'll have two or three cameras that are RF mount with zero RF lenses. And so, you know, next year would be the year that I would <laughs> yeah. maybe like start buying some of them, but it's like, am I going to rebuy the EF lens I already have? Am I going to buy the 50 mil or the 85 mil? Probably not. I'm going to buy the zooms yeah. I don't have, you know, I'm going to buy the 15 to 35. I'm going to buy the, the small 70 to 200 or something like that. And, you know, cause you're, you're not going to just be able to flip your EF lenses, you know, cause the RF lenses are so expensive. You're not going to be able to just flip them and buy the replacement. So it, it's going to be an investment to, to, to upgrade to the new tech, but the abilities of the things that you get, the better image stabilization is definitely one of them. The image stabilization on the, the 35 macro, the, on you know the 15 to 35 you know those are types of things you didn't get on ef lenses and so the way that that talks with the camera bodies for the in-body stabilization or the digital is or whatever your specific camera has like the technology is just better and i was listening to a canon podcast today yeah and And they're sharper yeah they're much they're much sharper but the ef lens and the mount uh was basically started in 1987 so it's it's about as old as me i was born in 86 so you know there's not much else i use technology wise that's as old as me so you know you have to think like rf is just the it's the future canon's going that way and you know i think now is the time if you're going to to change you know now that they have it committed with a cinema camera they have the professional cameras they're just missing like the 1d series yeah the best example of it is the the 15 to 35, the new one, that is the big improvement I would see. I have the 16 to 35 version two and it is soft. Like it's not a great lens, but it was crazy expensive. I still spent $2,500 on it. And the new one's like 35, I don't know. It's, it's a lot, the 1535, like they're all so expensive. Um, 
And that's where I'd see the biggest improvement. But uh, you know, yeah, it's just it's like it's hard to make that, like you say, to decide to kind of throw like give that money away in the exchange of of switching lenses and then not having that opportunity on the C70 to shoot the full frame. I don't know. I don't know what I'm going to do about that. So there's, there's always a dilemma. I finally commit to a camera and I still have something else to worry about, but that's how gear acquisition syndrome goes. Um, yeah. And anyway, you kind of have to, talking you through to decide. Me, uh, yeah. You just have to decide what you currently have and what's going to be best for that. And I have a bunch of EF lenses and they can mount to this camera and get even better when the next mount comes out. And so that's the best I can get out of these lenses I have. And so that's what I'm going to use. Well, I'm very excited for both of us to be shooting with this camera because I know I'm going to use it a lot. Like, I know I'm going to use it more than I use the C200, for example, because right now, like, I use, I pull out, I've been using the R5 and the R a lot because it's like, ah, oh, it's smaller. I don't want to pack up C200. I have mine rigged full time. Oh, wait, that was the last thing I wanted to touch on was rigging before we hang up here. Um, there's so little rigging available. And well, wait, there's one more thing I want to touch on. What we were saying before about videos coming out early, it feels like there's, less videos about the c70 than usual is it just me like komodo had more total videos after release and i keep searching youtube every day and i'm like nobody's talking about the c70 but i expect it to be a huge camera what's what's the deal i mean part of it is they're not shipping very many of them like that that's a big thing but also i mean red komodo there weren't that many either i think people just took the time with yeah. the red komodo and it being you know a six thousand dollar red camera body and everyone was super excited by it and more people were making like really detailed videos about it, but I, I just think they're not shipping many C70s yet. You know, they're, they're trickling out and yeah, the people that are using them and are testing them. Um, I know we're loving them and they aren't filming the review. You know, I know Jesse Driftwood has one and he loves it, you know, so it's just a matter of, um, mm-hmm. in, if interest, but I mean, my, my unboxing video and the reasons why I'm switching to it video, like those are those are getting organic views from search and browse, so you you know that people are interested in it. Um, so I think I'm going to commit and keep making videos about it, and just kind of share my experiences with it. All right, and last thing, last thing, rigs. There kind of aren't any yet. Um, you you sent me a link for CVP did a new video and they showed a preview in it of a upcoming wooden camera handle that looked like the best thing I've seen for this because this seems like a camera you don't want to rig very much. I, like I, I, the way that my C200 is, it's always built out. And it's part of what I don't like about my, uh, bright tan or yeah, bright tangerine, orange tangerine, what's it called? Bright tangerine rig. Bright tangerine, is that, yeah. uh, I can't really tear it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> orange tangerine would be a little redundant. Um, I have to like get in there with like six different hex screws to actually take the cage off of it. And I would not want that for the C70. Like whatever I put on there, it's got to just come off instantly. So the, I loved to see that wooden camera was clearly thinking that direction because the top handle they made only screws into the hot shoe. Um, like it looks like just with your thumb, you could screw it in quickly, pop it back off. And then you're able to add, you know, the extra screw mounts to it. You could add like a, you know, a bigger monitor on the front is how I use my C200 right now or a microphone or whatever it is. Um, that type of rigging looks really smart to me where it's very specific, um, additional points. Do you have any idea of how you're going to use yours? I mean, what I've really wanted from this camera that I don't have just using it in like the stock format is I I do want a top handle. And so, you know, I've tried to use it with just the side grip, but 
for a lot of the filming, you know, it's just easier to kind of cradle the lens with your left hand and hold the top panel with your right. And I want a bigger monitor on this thing. You know, it's a, it's a small monitor, you know, it's three, three and a half inches or something mm-hmm. like that. So to really focus on what your image looks like and your framing and everything's being straight and properly lined up is, you know, you want a bigger monitor. So I think having a monitor right on top I'm I'm going to experiment without a top handle and just putting the monitor right into the cold shoe on just like a adjustable tiltable one. Um but but I do think that the top handle they put in with the C70 is close. Like it it needs to be towards the front because with the big lens on this is a front mm-hmm. heavy camera. It just it feels like sandpaper. It just it feels horrible. So I don't know if I need to take sandpaper to it and like smooth it out and it won't be as bad but i no, just cringe no, you trying to, to touch it <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah i can pay somebody that's what, to uh, like rub sandpaper together yeah it's just it, it just feels that's what quinn did Sna- snazzy labs ripped apart his ps5 as soon as he got it and sanded the whole thing down i'm like okay you could do that but i wouldn't um yeah anyway I, i've heard i've yeah heard other people complain i it didn't bother me i didn't notice that but anyway when you make a video about how you rig it i will definitely watch it and everybody listening should as well thanks for coming back caleb i always appreciate it um and thanks for making switch pods because i've been using it uh i just used it on a video today and it's a great piece of tech so um everybody check it out well, yeah, thanks for having me, and thanks for the shout-out for SwitchPod. It's taken up a lot of my time over the last couple of years. Uh, it's kind of the thing I, I run behind the scenes. Uh, I don't really talk about it on my YouTube channel very much, but um, it's it's been fun to make a physical product. I have a lot more respect for people that make, like, cameras and, and, and like, any kind of gear because it's like <laughs> I, I made a $100 yeah, tripod not easy. that's not electronic at all, and I can only imagine, like, them creating something like this it's multi thousand dollars i don't i don't understand how it's done but i can't wait till you make a rig for the c70 oh you mean like from scratch like machine one out (laughs) yeah you're you're working on it right Uh, i'm not going to compete with zacuto or small rig or wooden camera they 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 do their thing i'll do mine all right well keep it up thanks again caleb cheers